0: The role of the drama teacher is immensely fulfilling but equally demanding. It exists beyond the curriculum in co-curricular programs, experiences and productions, generously offered by teachers to foster an appreciation of theatre, culture and the joy of playmaking. Jane Simmons has over 25 years teaching experience. She is embraced as a leader in drama education and is recognized as a generous source of advice, encouragement and practice. In her present role as performance officer at the Department of Education Arts Unit, she has produced state drama festivals, camps, ensembles and workshops. Jane also has extensive stage experience. She has performed sold-out shows at the Sydney Comedy Festival and is a dynamic presence at theatre sports competitions. For a period, she wrote an insightful blog reviewing theatre called Shit On Your Play. The blog garnered a wide readership from discerning theatre-goers and many practitioners from main stage and fringe companies. In 2015, Jane received the Australian Council of Teachers Leadership Award, recognising her excellence and expertise in the arts. Jane joined stages in a celebratory conversation of the drama teacher and an illuminating reflection on what led her to a career in arts education.
1: Um, Spent some quality time with a cat.
0: What's quality time with a cat?
1: Oh, well, you know, when it's sunshine and she wants to go outside, but she wants company.
0: Because mm. people who have dogs obviously need to take the dog out for a walk yeah. a couple of times a day. Yeah. You can't necessarily do that with a cat.
1: No, some people do, although I never, you know, I, I just I think it goes against the instinct of the whole point of having a cat. Well, yeah, I mean, I will say that during this whole isolation phase that um, she has become a, a lot more needy of my attention and also winter cats like you a lot more in winter you offer body warmth take it where you can get it
0: (laughs) (laughs) now have you listened to this podcast
1: yes i have
0: oh thank you (laughs) thank you well you would know that um i talk with a great variety of creatives and they offer terrific history and identify a myriad of pathways that folk find to arrive at where they do Uh, That's all wonderful content. But I think as part of those conversations, it's really important to include educational perspectives. And teachers, mentors, guides are roles that can be very influential in supporting and steering young people towards careers in the arts. Interests are nurtured, passions are encouraged, and skills are developed. So I'm delighted that you can join those conversations and add your own unique perspective, Jane Simmons, um, because, of course, you've worked with a lot of young people in what you know, I'm sure we both agree is the most important subject in the curriculum.
1: Absolutely. Drama. Hmm.
0: So why is drama such an awesome subject?
1: Oh, it's interesting now when you're reading all of this information about 21st century skills and you're going, oh, that's my subject, oh, creativity, collaboration uh critical thinking being able to to take on feedback being able to negotiate with other people but empathy oh my goodness me empathy is a huge thing and and that idea of having perspectives multiple perspectives and that deep research that you have to do into people in order to understand them to to formulate ideas and performances and not just from an actor's perspective but you thinking I mean, when you think about all the semiotics of theatre and you're thinking about space, proxemics, rhythms, timing, roles, situation, narratives, really there's, there's so many things there that we do as human beings in the relationships that we have with other people that is fundamental to how it expresses itself in a drama classroom.
0: extraordinary some of the, the well all of the skills which you just described there are skills which are kicking in with governments and artists and individuals just for survival at the moment in this pandemic
1: yeah that's exactly right and you you know you also understand that whenever there is a crisis like bushfires or storms it is your artists who come to the fore and who find ways to raise money and to try to, you know, and I I think it's also why artists swing left, you know, because there is a social conscious about that idea of taking care of our world and taking care of others, which I think is, is fundamental to expression and empathy, which comes out of the arts.
0: So it should be STEAM rather than STEM.
1: Oh, yeah, it really should be, because... None of those things can be fully realised in the rest of STEM unless you add creativity and critical thinking into that. The what, the what if.
0: Yeah. So, 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 an arts education, and I'm not just talking drama, I'm talking dance and, and music, etc. It's not just for kids who are going to be practitioners.
1: No, it it isn't. And you think about all of the different roles that they have in the arts and and some of those subjects you mentioned, but even in the drama world in terms of writers and designers and directors, um, there are all the other ways in which you have a voice of expression that is not just about being a performer on the stage. And that's also life.
0: So learning to express ideas and emotions through voice, through movement... Through cooperative, through, yeah, like exercises. through whatever,
1: whatever medium. And, and I know in the classroom, you know, you would have kids who weren't necessarily great performers, but they would still find their place there. And that tells you something, you know, those kids who, who really struggled with vulnerability um, but found a safe space in the, in the drama classroom to express themselves in a group process but also in other processes sometimes they were brilliant writers script writers and sometimes they understood a visual medium that they could they could look at the you know the mise en scene of whatever was in front of you and they they would have insights that that spoke to actually how deeply reflective some of those people are and drama gave them the space to experience learning rather than just traditional chalk and talk
0: i hope i'm not one of them and i know that you're certainly not one of them but it's a shame don't you think that that human beings lose the ability to play as they get older they become more self-conscious
1: Yeah I I was having a conversation with someone yesterday where I said I think the older we get we become more risk adverse so there is that sense where I guess the more you get the more you think you have to lose and so you don't take the same chances that you would and you find yourself you know in some situations in in what I dub as um, comfortably unhappy that I've got enough creature comforts that I can um, I guess distract myself with life and so I don't really have to reflect on the fact that what I'm doing makes me unhappy so I'll be comfortably unhappy as opposed to risking the comfort in the search of happiness because what happens if I'm uncomfortable and unhappy then I feel like I've lost it all so I'll just stick to being comfortably unhappy.
0: I recently came across The most beautiful tweet you posted it was great to see you on twitter um describing the opportunity that was provided to you by a free tertiary education and and also the reason why you became a teacher Mm. can you elaborate on that for for the listeners
1: yeah well i mean i grew up in the housing commission on the central coast um to a single parent family and uh and it was a, a tough childhood and, but I, I will say that at the time you kind of looked around and, and it felt like everybody was doing it tough. So the difference between those who had and those who didn't wasn't as great as what you see today. So, you know, but what there was, I guess, were opportunities. And certainly going to a public school, back when public schools were primarily the schools that everybody went to, um, we're talking in the 80s here, Um, I... I was lucky enough i suppose you know in this big tough high school on the central coast i mean there were over a thousand kids at this high school and it catered mainly towards housing commission kids and then just general entry kids but that i had teachers who noticed that i was a kid with potential but not with means so things like you know they they saw that I was this little malnourished kid and they put me on a lunch program, you know, and there was no, they weren't looking to be heroes. They just noticed kids in need. And I think teachers do that really well. Um, and then when I was in year 12, I, I, I mean, I wasn't in a home situation in which study was a thing and i live in a little rat infested caravan with my mother so um so i never studied and i had to rely on on my wits
0: that's all right i can i'll cut cut big into that just pick up i had to reply <coughs> a <my> wits.
1: <clears throat> yes i guess i've always been an improviser so i've always been pretty good at just kind of swinging by the seat of my pants and being able to talk my way out of problems yeah so I guess yeah that doesn't necessarily get you in a university and I had a teacher who grabbed me in the playground and forced me to fill in some early entry forms for the University of New England and basically I think all I had to do was go home get my mum to sign them which she did and then I just hand them back to the teacher and she did all of the work on it she wrote the submission she got the principal's signature and it was called a principal's recommendation and so it went off to UNE and I got early entry even before I sat my HSC exams so when I sat them and they were as disastrous as you might imagine it was back in the days where it was all examination there was no assessment Um, and so I had a choice between going to UNE and doing a degree or Milpera and nursing and I just want you to think about what that might have looked like had I made that choice (laughs) (laughs) that's right you think you're sick I'll tell I'll show you (laughs) so um so yeah and I went and I traveled 500 kilometers away to Armidale and I started a Bachelor of Science
0: because you thought of uh, you might be a psychologist.
1: Uh, that's correct, yeah. yeah. But what's wonderful about drama is that human psychology is really fundamental to what you do. And, and although drama had never been a subject when I was at school, we'd had a, once again a wonderful teacher, who was our German teacher, in fact, who started a little drama club after school on Mondays and all us nerdy girls... Um, and a couple of the gay boys decided that that was the thing that we were going to do. So we would create plays um, with the wonderful titles of This Is Your Life, Mrs. Boggle Woggle, and <laughs> other greats that um, have since been buried in public education, things that never should have been. So, um, but, so I went to uni, and someone at the bistro mentioned that there was a drama course and i marched up there in a way that i would never do now but as you know we're talking about that risk adverse so i marched up there and said oh, are there any places and there was one so i went in and did an interview I, I do classify that as the worst interview i've ever done but i think that the head of drama at the time chris ross smith was so amused by my bad answers that he decided that you had to have an idiot in the group, and I was it. And so I got in. and And I'll tell you what the question that I think was the clincher, because I could tell that the interview wasn't going well, was when he kind of he did that sigh that, oh, is there is there anything else that you can do? And seeing that this you know, the, the panic that this um I mean, was this opportunity was slipping away and I said oh oh I've worked lights on the show and he suddenly seemed interested anyway that's great what what system did you work with <laughs> um, I've never done lights in my life and so and I just went oh it it was an on-off switch so on that basis uh, and it he obviously laughed at that but I got in and so I swapped degrees to arts and I found my tribe and I found something and I i presume if I had a stayed with science I would have actually given it up after 12 months I know I would have, it wasn't my thing Well
0: it sounds like you, you were starting to find your tribe in that Monday afternoon drama club
1: Yeah, I, it's and it really, it's interesting I had a school reunion in 2015 it was our 30 year school reunion you can carbon date me from that one so and uh And partly, yeah, I wanted to go back and see how badly everyone had aged. But also, um, I was interested to see where these kids who had had quite a significant relationship with at school who I hadn't really seen since, like, what did they do? And the amount of kids from that little drama club who'd gone on to do really creative jobs, like graphic design, um, you know, um, writing, journalism jobs in which they, that that I think I credit this d- dinky public school where because we had found each other, we offered more support to each other than I think we ever realised in what was possible. and I, And had we not had teachers there that really did care about us, we would have definitely fallen under the cracks.
0: We're in that very special position as teachers where outside of their parents, we're probably can be the most significant adult in their lives.
1: Yeah. I mean, you probably spend more time with your teachers outside of your parents than you do with any other adults. Yeah. And you are with adults who who are fundamental to your journey in learning and you know I think people forget that learning is just not about a transfer of information but it's really about engaging with information and with concepts and deciding where you you yeah, I guess what interests you what do you want to know more about how do you learn like how do I learn how do I critically think how do I engage in this what does this mean to me Good learning and good teaching probably raises more questions than it does answers. But it's those questions in which you find your answers that take you on your own journey.
0: Were you a reader when you were a kid?
1: Yeah, I was a reader, but I wouldn't say of, you know, of any great sophisticated material. And, I mean, the the wonderful thing, of course, growing up when we did is that there weren't the same amount of diversions, you know. I mean, it was um, free-to-air television and then eventually, hopefully, your parents bought a video player. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, but it was... So I, I did do a lot of reading, but I think... I was actually really comfortable with my own company as well. And it was my imagination that probably...
0: Well, it sounds like a very tough childhood. So, so how did you escape that was just, through, I, I mean, emotionally, from day to day? Uh, was it uh, visits to the cinema?
1: Just yeah. your imagination? No, I mean, certainly when I was younger. So, you know, up until you get into an age at high school where you've got a little more independence. But, you know, it's like I'd bike ride or... Uh, you know, I just lay out in the backyard or just sit out there and we had this old wooden swing where you just you, you just kind of found a space in which you imagined a life different from the one that you were in and it actually made the one that you that you were in far more bearable and also I should just say although it was tough there was no question that I was loved and mm. and I think that That if you... It can be tough as long as you're safe, Mm. and that makes all the difference. Mm. What
0: about actual theatre text plays? Were were you studying a Shakespeare at school in any of your subjects?
1: Oh, look, was I? I don't know that we really did, actually.
0: Well, what's your first memory of a trip to the
1: theatre? First
0: play, musical that you encountered?
1: Oh, look, I do remember my mother taking me to the... um, your minor beach production of wizard of oz uh, (laughs) (laughs) back when i was still probably primary school age somewhere and what
0: effect did that have on you
1: yeah look i think i was really excited by the 3d aspect of it really that the idea that these were real people playing characters and that you could engage with that and also that your audience was live and and their response was immediate and visceral as well so there is a sense where you can enter into that relationship with what's happening on stage regardless of the quality of it at that age too and and be delighted by how real it is yeah but i, I mean i would say i mean i never knew that i would be pursuing this career a, until i guess I stumbled into the drama department at UNE. So what we did after school was more about, in some ways, hanging out with friends because it meant you didn't have to go home. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways, it was just the fun of being able to take popular culture and play with it um, and create something with your friends for your friends and with your friends. So, you know, I, I didn't think that that would be the journey I took. But now when I look back on it, it certainly planted the seed for all of those choices.
0: So you're at UNE studying drama. Is, is it just a drama course or are you, are you studying to be a drama teacher at that point?
1: No, it's just a drama course. And, and so I studied, yeah, so I did drama in my first year and I'd kept some of my science subjects. So I was still doing psychology, sociology and politics, yeah. interestingly enough. By my second year, I'd abandoned everything except drama. So then I did yeah, you know, a double major in drama and then I, I moved to English and I did a major in English. And I think it was then by the end of my second year of that where I thought, well, what am I going to do with that? And then I, I picked up the dip ed and I did that concurrently. So, so that in the four years I came out with a, a Bachelor of Arts with a double major in drama and a major in English and a Diploma of Education as it was back then. So I was a qualified teacher.
0: Were there any thoughts uh, during those early parts of the drama course that you might have entered the profession no, a, as an actor or yeah. technician or no?
1: No, never. That was n- never that never excited me. I didn't have a hankering to be on stage, and that also probably spoke to that I was also one of those vulnerable kids that we spoke about earlier that is in your classroom that might not be the best performer, but you can see that this is still the best subject for them. And I I think, you know, I mean, I'd been this acnified teenager that I didn't really think much of myself either, if I'm honest, mm. that, you know, I thought acting was really for beautiful people or for confident people that I did not feel that was me. I was the, I was the class clown. So I was the funny girl, and I do remember a uni lecturer saying to me you're a very good performer but you can't act <laughs> 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 cruel cruelty <laughs> um, so and I think then I just decided that that was true and so I didn't And but I've never regretted that choice like I don't I, I can see myself as a character actor if I need to I suppose but really all I'd be doing is playing variations of myself yeah. so which is why Impro was so delightful. I like the immediacy of that. I like the idea that it's unknown until you're in the moment, whereas with acting, there's... yeah, you know, I feel like there's more pressure in a specific role in being able to deliver that. That doesn't excite me in the same way.
0: So you went to schools... Um, I guess it's around eighty-eight, eighty-nine. 89. So
1: 1990 was my first 1990, year. 1990,
0: right, yeah, okay. So, so drama is a subject. But it no,
1: it's not. It's well, not it a is. subject. It, it,
0: it becomes a HSC subject in 1993.
1: 93 was its first year 12 years. So it yeah. became a subject. Its first year was 92 in year 11 and then into 93 for HSC.
0: So you were there from the ground floor.
1: I was, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was a drama was a subject at least in year nine and ten as an elective. And so we're I, talking
0: New South Wales too. We are. Is, yes. it, is Victoria a similar sort of? Or, I think or the, the rest New of South Wales
1: was was like the last state to get it. Right. Yes, it's um, my understanding. I mean, I think um, when Dorothy Hethcote came out for her visit in the seventies, that's when the sort of think the movement started in terms of theatre and education which eventually when they had creative arts consultants and then they ended up having drama consultants and from there they pushed the subject into the new south wales curriculum that had already existed in other states so i think consequently it is why our curriculum is a little bit different from other states as well that it's um there's a lot of theory that sits in our curriculum that's different from the way it's studied in other states too hmm.
0: when did you become involved in theatre sports because you're doing a lot of improv at uni I guess
1: yeah well it's so at uni well and I think because we'd seen it once it sort of hit the ABC and they had a
0: that's right there was a television competition yes yeah, yeah. so that's
1: what Andrew Denton was in from memory so and then it it started a life, I think, all the way around the country from there. And it had existed before then. It's just suddenly it had a little mainstream attention. So for me, I was still, I was still on campus. So I would say 88, 87, 88 is when I started a little bit of impro For we, we had like a, I lived on campus, so we had cross-campus competitions. And so I represented my college of Earlpage. Um, we did not win surprise and then I then I kind of left it be until then I started teaching at Gilgandra out past Dubbo. and then I came back and I would do NIDA summer courses and I remember doing an impro course I think it was in 93 or 94 and then from there
0: is Lynn Pierce there
1: then? Yes, yeah. so yes, and she taught the course. And I had met Lynn actually when NIDA came out and they did this NIDA Out Bush tour and they came to Gilgandra and I met Steve Bisley came out, Amanda Morris, Lynn Pierce, Ross Hall. And from there I I think that was my first time from a teaching perspective that I realised that my journey as a teacher was Also, about needing avenues in which to learn and to perform in ways that were right for me as well. So, and I think then I've made it my mission, very as as a young teacher, to constantly engage in the arts as, as a practitioner of some kind outside of teaching but still fed the beast so whatever you do it's like it still feeds the beast of who i am as a teacher because i'm constantly adding more to what i could do or what i know or what i've experienced
0: yeah keeping your tools sharp
1: Yeah. yeah and i think from what i can see some of the some of the really good teachers that i know are those who understand that as a teacher your learning never stops, ever.
0: What makes a good improviser?
1: Um, oh, I would say...
0: Go on, make mm. up this response.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, well, first I had to ask myself, are you a good improviser? So, you know, I had to... Um, look, listening, you really have to listen. Mm. Yeah, you know, when you see people going on and steamrolling over other people's ideas because they haven't listened, they haven't seen you, they haven't they haven't been paying attention to what you're doing, then you know that the wheels are gonna come off. So you really have to watch and you really have to hear, really hear. And then you have to respond authentically to that moment as well. What does this moment need? And you know where we talked early on about rhythms and timing and all of those things? It's also about knowing how to change things when things need to be changed, how to honor that moment, where to find endings, all of those things. So I think all of the fundamental skills that you know as a performer just comes to improv in this sort of high pressure moment of unpredictability. But most of all, it's about trying to have fun with it and trying to make the other people look good. And if they're doing the same for you, i think you're okay and then once again it's safe risk
0: you've taken on the role of mc at many of those uh, competitions at the wonderful inmore theater for yes. impro australia um a very accomplished mc keeps everyone engaged and on their toes Thank and you. laughing which is fantastic do you prefer that mc role now or, yeah. or being a competitor yeah
1: i do I, and i think partly because as a teacher and i see myself as a teacher first and foremost amongst the many many things i have done but as a teacher there's something about being able to control what the show needs in some way or or form so it's about knowing that whatever's on paper that i can abandon that to offer something else right now that i think that this show needs or like and it, it can be as simple as a title or a game or just mixing it up in some way but that idea of being able to to be able to look at the entire night and to be able to give it what it needs from this position and i and i'm and then also just to thoroughly sit back and enjoy the performers having fun with no pressure on myself whatsoever to deliver any of that it's nice too
0: You've dipped your toe in stand-up comedy as well. I have. At the Sydney Comedy Festival. Yes. I was there. It was a hoot.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: um, Quite a um, unique premise. (laughs) (laughs) You used a whole lot of resources. Tell Uh, us about that. I
1: did, yeah. Well, it was called 100 Points of ID. So I... Look, you know, when I said before that I never really thought much of myself in terms of my own confidence and my own appearance as this acnified teenager that then manifested itself for a couple more decades before I ever really felt like I maybe wasn't as bad as I had sold myself out to be. But consequently during all of those years of feeling pretty ordinary, it turns out that my ID photos were a wonderful reflection of that time because they mirrored exactly what was happening in my life and how I felt about myself. So I'd kept all my ID photos, being the hoarder that I am, from my student ID photo at university in 86 all the way through to driver's licences, passport photos, um, individual school photos, kept them all. And was then, that
0: for some bizarre curiosity to see how you are changing over the years? I, I don't
1: think it was a deliberate effort. It's just that... They were just in a drawer. They were just in a drawer and <laughs> you just, you know... I mean, I, I felt like if I'd taken the trouble to have them, then I probably should keep them, and I don't know what I was ever planning on doing with it. Well,
0: I've got a mine, but, I mean, that's purely vanity.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Wait, you're not one of the people that Jesus <laughs> used as the same one every year.
0: <laughs> I do now. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but then it became this party trick that because then... People would come over for dinner, come over visit, and they'd go, get out the photos, get out the photos, and I'd have to get out the photos, and they were ones that always cracked people up. So 96 was always the classic. It's a shocking demonstration about bad fashion choices and just actually the difference that a haircut can make too. There are some haircuts there I went, I don't even know what that is, or but at
0: the time, you probably looked magnificent. I, mean, I don't it's think just I so did. I think oh.
1: even then I looked very ordinary. And I do remember um, back in the late 90s. And, and keep in mind that in the late 90s, you know, I, I was maybe 31, 32. We're talking, you know. And, and I remember um, Wednesday afternoon sport, 10-pin bowling with the kids one of the male casual teachers was assigned, you know, as a colleague to come to sport with me. And, and he sat down at one stage and he just said, so you just decided you didn't want kids? You didn't? And I just went, how how old do you think I am? And and his answer shocked me that, you know, <laughs> clearly he, he thought I was pushing 50. and And I remember just being so outraged by that. And then I look at that photo and I think, Yep, that's a completely valid assumption. Like, it,
0: <laughs>
1: I, I honestly, and you saw the show, you'll know that there was a point somewhere in the mid, you know, like 2004, 2005, where you went, oh, I see a shift. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I started teaching uh, 80, 89, and I look back at those early teaching photos. Now, I used to wear bow ties.
1: <laughs> I mean, what
0: is that about?
1: Well, I don't know, I mean, because you're country Victorian, maybe there was a little part that just said that sophisticated style, isn't it?
0: But, but stripes that went with polka dots too and I mean it was just uh,
1: But that was uh, very eighties. Like when but, I think of that corporate eighties, yeah, yeah, there is a little bit of, of that sort of I was twenty one. Yeah. But I know, I know. But also can I just say how liberating it was? Like even when I look back at those, say, Paul Young film clips of wherever I lay my hat or whatever those things were and you see those live <laughs> concerts of the girls in the audience who who are extremely ordinary looking. Like and there's a little bit of um androgyny, there's a little bit of the idea of just wearing their their big woolly jumpers and and yeah, and no makeup and there was a sense where that was a perfectly valid choice whereas now that idea of that your image is everything yeah yeah and i think we were so lucky
0: and the selfie generation too they're taking photos of themselves angles yeah 20 times a day yeah
1: it's all about angles
0: And then there's a filter to make them look better.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm. So once again, all of the things that we say we love about theatre, about being real, (laughs) we've we've actually moved into a society that's all about just trying, that's as artificial as you can get.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: And that makes drama even more important because it, it allows you to peel away those layers that we have successfully found a way to filter into our lives
0: what do you love about the classroom
1: i love its authenticity Mm. i mean i love the fact that i mean i don't think there's a single day where you go into the classroom where those kids don't make you laugh in some way Mm. and and we talked about filters i mean often kids don't have filters often they will tell you exactly what they think or what they feel um you know and if they're bored you know it you know if they're engaged you can see it i mean for kids there is a sense that that is the space in which they can explore safely so they can be who they are and i think that's what i really love about the drama classroom because there is a relationship that you have with those kids in which you get to see them in a way that perhaps other subjects don't because of its active experiential nature
0: and they're permitted to fail on a daily basis yes which is all part of the process yes of, of, of getting to that final destination that's
1: right we're not just yeah. flipping open the head and just pouring in information and just and then flipping and say, it this closed.
0: plus this equals this yeah no no that's Drama that's, can be anything.
1: that's it there's no one set answer so it really is about the journey and your critical um, reflection and engagement in that journey yeah.
0: What, what makes a good drama teacher? What are the qualities that you think uh, a drama teacher should should own?
1: Yeah, I mean, all of that stuff that I said about improv, we'll just put that aside for a moment because you really also have to have some fairly deeply embedded knowledge of your own subject because you're going to have to find a way to synthesise that for kids. So, um, So partly research and training so I really want to emphasize that idea that you have to know something before you walk in that room because it's going to give you the confidence to actually deliver something so I just want to put that there and then apart from that you and I know this is going to sound maybe a little bit silly but you should really like kids please like kids Mm, mm, (laughs) yeah I mean we've all seen teachers where I just went I don't know how do you get up in the morning and do this like you so you really you have to have a passion for your subject and you have to really enjoy the classroom space I think once again all those things that we said before about feeding the beast you have to I think it's really important that you're engaging with your art form and even if that's going to the theater and seeing lots of shows if it's reading lots of plays if it's you know engaging in your own performance work if it's maybe engaging in design or writing or whatever i just i feel like in order to have a holistic understanding of your subject that helps you deliver your subject you need to engage with it in different ways um and i think it probably helps if you are a people person but also that you can put ego aside Try not to take anything personally and try not to make it about you. There are lots of... Well,
0: you know... we've all seen Mr G. <laughs>
1: yes, <haven't> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so it's the idea that, that actually you are far less important than you think you are in the way that you think you are. But you are a facilitator. You are a nurturer. Um, you are an educator. Um, and, you know, in, as we said, in, in some ways you're a substitute parent. Just don't look to your students to have to love you and affirm you. And I think that that becomes a really dangerous area when you see people who are desperate to be the most popular teacher in the school. Um, But see your students and know your students and love what you're doing.
0: I love this community of of drama teachers. There is great bond and, and great support amongst us all. And I think that is also helped along terrifically through a Facebook page <laughs> called Drama Peeps, mm-hmm. which you instigated, what, must be six, seven years ago?
1: Yeah, um, we had probably about seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, quite by accident, though, Peter, so please don't credit me with having any great insight into building a community of drama teachers. It was just luck in some ways. So what I did was... Uh, there were a few drama teachers who I knew on Facebook when I first joined and I thought it would be a good idea to sort of group them together. Um, and then it turns out that, that what I had created was a group that people could join if they were drama teachers and it just took off. I had all these requests to join. Um, and now it's got oh, over 4,000 members that are primarily drama teachers and... And some industry people and and also wider afield in terms of national and and in some cases international. But it is a a great support mechanism because we do recognise that for a lot of drama teachers, they're the only one in the school. Mm. So having a place in which you can go and just say, oh, I've just picked up this class, they're doing this topic. Does anybody have anything that might be able to help? Or have the student who's having an issue with this monologue? Any suggestions? And, and teachers, as you mentioned, and they're incredibly collaborative and generous.
0: But it acts like an online staff room.
1: Yes, yeah. it, it really does. And there are, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm so impressed with how drama teachers really support each other. Yeah, that you would never feel like, you know, once you're on that page, that if you if you needed something, someone on that page can help you. They really can. So it's a great little page.
0: Yeah. Um, and anybody can seek that out, I guess. And, they um... can.
1: And you can request to join. Please answer those questions in detail. <laughs> yes. I've become very picky about who joins it. And partly because, you know, we, we don't necessarily want students joining the page, um, yeah, or, and be, I think also because a lot of teachers share their own material or resources, there is a sense where they don't want to see it suddenly reappear under somebody else's name published somewhere. So, you know, it's that idea of, of still respecting other people's work.
0: Another one of your creative expressions, your your babies, was a blog, a, fa- a quite a famous blog, mm. which has disappeared. It's called "Shit on Your Play."
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, which was a um, a theatre review blog. You would review a, a lot of shows yes. in the, the Sydney area. Um, how did that start and come about?
1: Mm. I, I mean, it's one of those things that I joked about for some time. I think, and it was in the era of Simon Stone and Benedict Andrews when they were probably at what I would say they're still very much experimental stage but on a main stream stage and I kept coming out of the theatre feeling angry about what I had just paid for and then you would read the reviews in you know John McCallum's and and i guess at many other mainstream papers where you just go how they've given that a, a pretty good review and yet that's not my experience of it and everybody that i'm talking to feels that my experience of it is probably their experience of it why where where are the voices that are calling this out exactly as i feel like it should be and and then i think over one long weekend in june in 2011 I just started I just wrote this blog and I because
0: you didn't pull any punches
1: I did not pull any punches and it was and I tell you what there were two shows in particular where I just went right this is it and one of them was um, at (laughs)
0: um yeah a lot of mud oh and nudity and
1: nudity Mm -hmm. and and, discordant it's just with the guitars and the yeah, but I think it was just the amount of cock on stage where I just went, Oh, really. Um and and the other one was the Chekhov play. Is it it's what thing? think?
0: Vanya or Seagull or
1: The Seagull. That was it.
0: Oh at Belvoir. At
1: Belvoir. Right. Is it the one that was in the caravan park at Genuine? Yes, yes, yeah, that's yes, the one. Yes. So, and it was those two that I, I had seen. I think one night after the other, I just went, this is it. I'm I am done, and I wrote the blog, and it struck a chord with people almost immediately. Um, and of course, I published it anonymously um, until I got outed. Um, and and I, but I and I will say if you've read that blog you would know that if i saw something good i would of course give it a good review yeah yeah, that's right um and but it did it very much had my voice you could if you knew me and you read that there was no question that you can hear my voice in that in that there's
0: certainly a raised eyebrow
1: (laughs) that's right and i did um there was one wonderful article that came out once i was outed that compared me to dorothy parker and that's honestly probably the best compliment i've ever had so yeah it
0: it was a very popular read
1: it was people look
0: forward to the, the latest review how did the name come about shit on your play because mm, uh, it's got a double-edged sword yeah there, yeah yeah sort because just speaking know, shit about something that's it i'm
1: just i was talking shit about your play yeah
0: and also heavily criticizing <laughs>
1: it <laughs> <laughs> it's really I'm dropping a big turd on it yeah. yeah um yeah i guess it was the the double meaning and i you know i had joked with friends about calling it that and they loved that so much that i I called it that. And it ended up being, you know, a great strength and also a curse with the name. And I do remember my headmaster at the previous school I was at. Because
0: you were teaching at the same time. I was, it was teaching a, at the it was same time. with a hobby. Time. Yes, yeah.
1: exactly. And when he finally got wind of it, I think about three years later, and I got called into the headmaster's office and I thought, here we go, yeah. Hmm. And he said, I believe you write a blog and he was quite an older conservative christian man and i said i i do yes um he said yes it's been brought to my attention it's got a very unfortunate title and i said well it's yep it's not for everybody and he said i'm concerned about how it might reflect on the school and I said, "Did you um, have you received any complaints about it?" He said, "No." And I said, "Have you read it?" He said, "I have, yes." <laughs> and I was surprised because it's actually quite good. So, so yeah, so I worked, it was probably only
0: the title it was which was upsetting title. anybody. It yeah. was only uh, the
1: title that really upset people because you know that that seemed to suggest. I guess that it was a bitter rant on you know on a play that was where the blog I, I suppose was designed to specifically tear you a new one and sometimes it did and but more often than not it didn't and and I will say it it became really problematic when you'd be going to review amateurish productions that That weren't great because you, and then I understood because John McCallum said to me when I had this argument with him initially, where I just went, why aren't you, why aren't you tearing some of these shows a new one? Why, why are you so nice to them in the reviews? You know this is a piece of shit, and he said, well, you have to reward the potential because our scene is too small, and I think then for a lot of the professional productions, I thought, well, no, if if you charge me eighty dollars to see it, you don't get that privilege particularly the Ralph Myers years, you don't get that privilege. Yeah. But, you know, you, you understood the dilemma when you were reviewing amateurish shows because you just thought, oh, like, yes. So perhaps there are ways that you can be kinder but still make your point.
0: Did you put any noses out of joint?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, sure I did. I'm pretty sure I was on a blacklist at Belvoir, and I remember they they had this forum, this theatre critics forum, one Sunday before one of their plays on, and so they invited Alison Crogan and um, I th- and there were about three other reviewers, and one of the Chaser Boys was hosting it, and I was terrified, I have to tell you, because it, it felt to me that it had been designed to really suggest that my blog was out of step with what theatre criticism should be. And and I will say that my biggest critics were often other theatre critics. Yeah, I mean, Alison Crobbin seemed to really dislike me. And so I would respond to her in kind, and it probably didn't do any of us any favours. But... um, Uh, and I yes I just remember being absolutely terrified in that forum but what what had happened was that there were a number of people who came along to watch the forum who turned out to be fans of mine and it ended up being really quite lovely hearing from the audience that actually having voices like mine was something that they really welcomed because they had felt that theatre criticism had been bland and deceptive.
0: Keep the bastards on us. Yes. Yeah.
1: And, of course, now there really aren't any critics left. Like, having papers basically destroyed... Yeah, there's
0: no print. Uh, there's no print. print, print and or... I
1: find that so sad. But I, but I will also say that had those voices... Been perhaps a little more consistent in their criticism and not being afraid of the industry itself, that maybe some of those voices might have survived the cull. I don't know.
0: Why'd you pull up stumps?
1: Oh, well, funnily enough, when you work for the Department of Education, turns out they're a lot more conservative than Christian (laughs) (laughs) organisations. Yeah you know, and I find that really funny that government agencies are far more risk-adverse than actual private industries. And when I had started with the department in the 90s, it was cutting-edge risky, like it wasn't afraid to make controversial choices in curriculum and with tech studies and with its decisions. But in the, you know, in the 20 years I'd been away from the department, it had shifted under years, I think, of conservative governments and so yeah it it was a very different beast than i left and it was made clear to me in my role in a government agency that that blog could no longer exist and and i will say that having then written it for three or four years that i was probably ready to rest it and it did not feel like it was a fight worth having so i was kind of happy to give it up and that is not to say that it won't come back one day but probably under a new title
0: yeah well, let's hope so.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, the pandemic has forced a lot of classroom teachers to be teaching from home, teaching kids at home. Yes. you know, online learning, which I, I think they've uh, adapted to pretty, pretty uh, easily, uh, which has has been nice to see. In your role at the arts unit, how have you been supporting? because we should acknowledge that you are at the arts with the department of education at the moment. How have you been supporting teachers as they deliver courses from afar?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I noticed and that came out on drama peeps a, f- a fair bit actually was that as teachers, we've, we are used to doing things the way that we normally do things. And there are, things and there are things about technology we go well unless I have to know it I just can't be bothered I mean how often do we walk into a classroom and we have to get one of the students to go can you just set that up for me can you just make that technology happen I mean I I would do it all the time you know apart from docking my laptop on and getting stuff on if I need to do anything complicated you go to kids so I think having now some more tech savvy skills meant that we were also in a really privileged position to be able to create content that you could watch with your students um, or set your students to do at home. So one of the things, and I know, and I will also say that this was an arts unit initiative, so it's not as if I did this in a vacuum. But we created in drama a whole lot of modules on all different topics from kindergarten all the way through to year 12 that you could do with your kids. and
0: That's a huge job.
1: It's a huge job. Mm. But I loved it. I mean, I, I will say I was a little daunted at the start, particularly performing for the camera, because it is a different beast. Um, I was so nervous at the start, I couldn't even get my name and job title out. We had to come back to it at the end when I <laughs> calmed down. Um, and I will also say that teaching stereotypes through the digital form 30 years after I started teaching where I taught stereotypes in a completely different way in 1990 than what you can in 2020. Yes, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, so you go oh well can't do those racial stereotypes. Oh, can't do those class stereotypes. Oh, can't do that. So really actually just trying to find stereotypes that could be the least inoffensive and having to also say things like just remember this does not reflect a three-dimensional person. These are, you know, tropes. Please don't take them as gospel um but yeah so developing a a series from basics all the way to sophisticated on characterization and i loved it and it reminded me once again because my job is now primarily administrative i'm like an event manager but doing something where i felt like i was teaching again just reminded me how much i love that aspect so doing that doing these creative classes And, of course, we've got other projects that we're looking at with, say, online festivals or, you know, um, other forms of remote learning because what it did also highlight is that we are still so metro-centric. So even if it was a normal year, if you live in the city, you're probably in a far more privileged position than if you're somewhere out there, like I'm sure you experienced out there in rural Victoria, that if we live in this technology age... How are we not making things more accessible for people? And I imagine that that will also reflect maybe what we produce for on-stage in the future um, and other programs that we do as well.
0: And I think that's what this pandemic has done. It's forced us to stop and rethink the way that we do certain things to um, reconnect with technology or learn a bit more about technology. And uh, you know whenever this thing uh, finishes, I think it will, the humanity, society is going to find new ways of delivering their jobs and engaging. I mean, I've been doing parent-teacher interviews via Zoom Mm.
1: um,
0: and the parents are loving it. Yeah. You know, so maybe that's going to be something of the future.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I do love it. I mean, I'm now working from home and I'm fortunate enough that I only live a few kilometres away from where I work, so it's easy enough to get to. But I, I work from home three days a week. I love it. I love it. So does your cat. So does my cat. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I have to set up a little seat next to me at my computer where you yeah, know. She's she's like my assistant. Yeah.
0: We've covered lots of accomplishments and contributions that you've made in this conversation, Jane. What's what's something that you're really chuffed about that, that you make happen?
1: I'm look, I really do like the job that I'm doing for public education, New South Wales, because we are able to offer opportunities to kids who perhaps in their own school or wherever they live that they wouldn't get to engaging if not for what we do. So that idea of, I think as drama teachers, it's inherent in who we are, that idea of equity and fairness is a really important thing so I like that I'm in a job that can create opportunities because we know that drama can change lives I think it certainly has done that for me Um, I am really pleased that I did my stand-up show and I think became cathartic in the end actually to be able to laugh at yourself is so important I am pleased that I had that little pocket of time when I was writing the blog, because it made me really critically deconstruct theatre in a way that perhaps I hadn't had to do before. So it taught me also a lot about all of the different components of why we respond to theatre. You know, when you really have to sit down and go, but why did I feel like that? But why? So asking, finding the answers to questions that we ask. So I'm, I'm pleased that I got to do that. I am thrilled that we've got that little support network for drama teachers and that uh, we've created great professional development opportunities you know, by bringing out also people like Frantic Assembly to come out and work with teachers, um, Complicite, so that all those connections that you have with industry. But I guess most... Most of all, I'm so thrilled that I fell into teaching because I cannot imagine that there is any other job that I could do that gives me the joy that teaching gives and I am lucky enough to still have contact with many of my students who have gone on to do lots of different things. Some in the industry, most not but where I can see that drama has made all the difference, and I am thrilled for
0: that. What a vast range of experience Jane has had, and and how wonderful that all of that is harnessed to support, nurture and guide young performers who embrace their performing arts education. Jane is a treasured colleague and a good mate, a treat to feature her story today on Stages. I began the Stages podcast in early 2018. It has been a tremendous labour of love and it has afforded me an opportunity to converse with a great range of artists from all performing genres, on stage and behind the scenes. Each has described their fascinating pathways to a career in the arts and also amused, engaged and informed us with terrific insight to process and some hysterical anecdotes. In 2019, the podcast was recognised as the best new podcast at the Australian Podcast Awards. That was a big thrill and a super acknowledgement of what we are doing, celebrating the arts in all its forms and recording vital oral stories. For those of you who tune in weekly to the podcast, you would be aware that next week, Stages hits our 150th episode mark. If you've chanced upon this episode, I encourage you to dip into the vast Stages archive, all available from iTunes, Spotify and Wooshka. I couldn't be more delighted to let you know that my guest in episode 150 is the ever-engaging Maggie Kirkpatrick. Maggie has a vast resume of stage, television and film work. She shares reflections on a stellar and extensive career. That's next Thursday on Stages, episode 150. Maggie and I would love your company. As always, I'm Peter Eyes Keep well, keep warm, stay safe. I'll catch you next time.